0: chats it's good to be with you again today i am really excited about having damien christoph on the show today he's an old friend and he's just so great to chat to about all things health and diet and lifestyle and balance and um, just how to put it into practice in your everyday life before we get started i just want to remind you that we have some exciting things coming up this year um, at the moment, we are just about to start the first round of the Gut Health Formula program for the year. So that begins today, but you're welcome to join anytime in the next week. Um, we have a nice soft start, very gentle start. Um, we really help you to focus on reducing stress and getting your health priorities in order and working out the direction you need to go to improve your gut health. Um, and then we help you get started on that. And it's a really lovely program, very supportive, lots of practitioners in there from WellBelly Health and Elise and I run the program together, Elise Comerford. And it's just a really great way to get started on your gut healing journey or to be um, revitalized on your health journey. If you feel like you've lost, the, lost track a little bit and you just feel a bit like you need some support and some encouragement, um you can join us you'll see the link below and then very exciting news which you may have heard on the last podcast that I'm going to be running a luxury gut health retreat in the Italian Alps end of May start of June so it's May 31st to June the 4th um a good friend of mine owns a beautiful chalet that's um over 300 years old that she's restored um, in the Alps and she wants me to come and do a gut health retreat there. So I'll be working with Lucy and also with Naomi Miller, who is a nutritionist and a Chinese medicine practitioner and a personal chef and the chef at the local village school where they do um, gaps and Western A Price style meals for the kids every day. She's amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that. Link below. And let me see what else is happening, coming up. Um, I am going to get stuck into doing some more online workshops soon, Um, cooking workshops from my kitchen, but at the moment my kitchen is upside down and (laughs) being renovated, which is very exciting. So you can see the renovations as we go. I'm adding them to my stories, sharing the photos and you know, what my stove looks like and Um, you know what changes i've made in my kitchen so that's happening at the moment and you might want to have a look at the highlights on my instagram and you'll be able to find the link below for that as well so once the kitchen's all set up again then we can start doing some online workshops again so stay tuned for that and um, other than that there's always new things happening so just keep an eye on my emails i usually send one out about once a month except sometimes I'll send reminders that the program's beginning or something like that. But other than that, my my Newsy newsletter comes out once a month and you can subscribe to that below. All right, let's get started and I'll go and get Damo on the show. Hope you enjoy. Here we are once again. It's so nice to chat to you, Damo.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, Joe, I get such a like a lift like my heart flutters i get a message from joe whitton i quickly i stop my patients from talking i go hang on a second queen joe is texting me and i've got to get i've got to check this out so i was so excited when he texted me the other day and said can you come on my podcast again i go yes i'd love to so thanks for having me back joe it's awesome oh, we always
0: love having you on here it's always um so helpful And as I said to you the other day, I get so many questions about fats and cholesterol, and I know the basics, but I'm not really good at explaining it, and I can pick out studies and send them to people, but it would just be so nice to have it all in a podcast from someone who knows how to explain it well. (laughs) It's such a tricky topic, isn't it?
1: Uh, It's such a tricky topic. And I think because so much has been spoken about over years that that's now become a belief system. In irrespective of the evidence and irrespective of the science, so much has been spoken about the founder of statin drugs. Oh, let's you know, let's not go down that you know name bashing route. Um, but the founder of statin drugs and then his science into um, what causes heart disease and his research into and evidence that he used to develop this broad spectrum rollout of statin medication and the vindication and devilization of uh, the consumption of fats and in particular, um, saturated fat. Yeah. Um, and then even further um, to suggest that, you know, you know, all fat is bad really. And so that the birth of the low fat diet revolution kind of came about in the eighties as a result of that loose research, but it's become dogma now. So yeah. it's now it's a dogma and a religion, a belief system. Like it's not right. actually, It's not founded in science anymore. And in fact, we see this so much there, Joe, and you'll be aware of, you know, the little things that I say here that probably lend to the last couple of years in terms of our interpretation of the data. Like if you interpret the data a different way, which is what should happen with scientists, they all interpret data in a particular way. And then that helps form... Uh, better questions if you interpret the data in a way that doesn't fit the narrative then you're seen to be a heretic and you're seen to be wrong right and in australia if (laughs) you go to jail you know you get people knocking down your doors you get arrested if you're seen to be outside of the narrative right and so that's the sort of thing you might see in a socialist kind of country where it's um you can't speak against the government but not here in australia but these days if you are wrong you are wrong. You know, if black or white, good or bad. There's no grey or color at the moment. No so, no discussion, no debate,
0: mm. no debate.
1: If there's any debate, then in, you're, okay. an you're an anti-person. You're an anti-person. Anti-people are bad people. You know. So, um, it's fair to have this conversation, Joe. It's really fair to have this conversation because a lot of confusion, and the rules that kind of became the dogma and the science that became the dogma, which is the belief system. It's a belief in something that's founded in religion or in um, thought, not science. So, And and the whole cholesterol myth is a dogma um, that we kind of need to unpack a little bit. It's fair for us to have that conversation today, I reckon.
0: Yeah, well, I was talking to one of my staff members who um, is on the same wavelength as me with food and has been through gaps with her family and just working on gut health. I think there's a lot of people working on gut health and being told, um, you know, eat animal fats. They're good for your gut. They're just like, I'm so confused. (laughs) um, I get a lot of questions from them. And she said, um, she would really love to know how the whole cholesterol myth came about. Um, She said, baby boomers seem to be the ones most afraid of cholesterol. Um, And you know, what, how do you, where did it all start? And why so you've kind of covered a little of that but yeah yeah
1: well yeah absolutely so it's oh did we just get a little noise I don't know what that little noise was sorry
0: that um, was probably me and I don't know where it is but I'll find it
1: uh, <laughs> I thought oh I'm getting the wrap up already Joe's already sick we haven't even answered the question yet <laughs> uh, but um it's essentially it all. It all happened um, in 19, around 1986. Essentially, is what happened, and there was a drug that was developed um, called Lovastatin, um, and this drug made it to the FDA. And essentially, it was born off the back of um, some science that was considered to be revolutionary at the time. And so, um, the scientist at the time did a did a population study, a historical study. Um, looking at countries that died from heart disease and countries that didn't die from heart disease. And when he looked at those studies, he noticed, he noticed that the people who died from heart disease um, tended to have a high fat diet. And those countries that didn't fit that narrative were excluded from that. So countries that didn't have heart disease, but had a high fat diet were excluded from this study which you kind of go, hang hey on a second, what are you talking about, Debo? Like that doesn't make any sense. But so essentially this scientist, um, very w- world famous scientist, very renowned, um, and of course changed the face of modern medicine forever, forty nearly 40 years ago, um, said that countries that have high rates of heart disease also have high rates of saturated fat in their diet and that saturated fat um, it causes high levels of cholesterol in the bloodstream and cholesterol therefore is the cause of heart disease and coronary artery plarking, Um and that a low fat diet would be best and for those people with high cholesterol then a statin drug should be um, consumed so or utilized to best manage. now I've, I've paraphrased right and so i've summarized the research or the conversation very grossly and it's not 100% accurate. However, that's the interpretation um, that's kind of come from all of that. And essentially what then became the thing was that if you had high cholesterol, you were put onto a statin drug. Um, And generally at the time in 1986, um, lovastatin um, was basically what people were given and statin drugs then became the big thing. So statin drugs were under a patent um, and a patent lasts for an X amount of years. And then, as the patent became unraveled and it ran out, all of these new statin drugs came into the market and it became um, forage. <laughs> I had to put that <laughs> word in. It became forage for the drug companies to go and manufacture more statin drugs because it was already a given that um, statin drugs, when I say given, it was already um, researched in some quarters that statin drugs decrease the risk of heart disease. And those research papers continue to uh, find the positive effects of statin drugs in the utilization um, and and the outcome being a decrease in the incidence of heart disease and stroke and so on and so forth. Now on the flip side of all of that, there's research also, and if you look at um, epidemiological studies, and I haven't got any specific studies in front of me, but I know that they are there. Um, If you look at epidemiological studies that consider, has there been a reduction in heart disease across the world with the implementation and utilization of statin drugs? And the answer is no. Unequivocally, we now see that still in Australia, for example, the number one cause of, uh, of death, I think, in men at the moment is heart disease, right? And so we still see that heart disease is if it's not the number one it's number one it's number two or three right so the top killers in in australia are cancer and heart disease and um and and that's a concern because this is where all the money's kind of been funneled towards and so there's a narrative that continues to support the utilization of the statins irrespective of the epidemiological studies now along the way people have said oh you know, take fish oil or take aspirin or take other, you know, things to kind of help thin the blood because that'll decrease the viscosity of the blood and then decrease plucking and all that sort of stuff. And so it all became an outside in model. It -hmm. all became what we thinking? put into the body to fix this problem that was caused from stuff that's outside the body in the first place yeah. and, and in the first place it was argued that it was saturated fat that is the cause of it and we'll come back to that in a second and in mm-hmm. the second place was well you can either decrease the fat in your diet or take the drugs or take the supplements but the reality it, the reality is that it's more complicated than that joe
0: yeah, I mean, what did people do thousands of years ago? How did they cope? They ate saturated fats all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, they did. But I mean, here's what's interesting too, Joe. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the person that was on the podcast kind of got this stat a little bit, you know, marked up. But in Australia, um, in Australia these days, we're expected, like, we're expected to live to about 82 years old. That's that's what we're expected to live, and the chances of somebody alive today, living to 65 years old, is about, I think it's 75%, like 75% of the population will live to 65. And then our expected you know, age at birth, our longevity at birth is expected to be about 82, 83 years old, something like that. Um, worldwide, only 8% of the population make it to 65 years old. make it to 65 years old now. When we go back thousands of years, when we go back thousands of years, people didn't live a long time. So we never really got to see the true effect of diet or lifestyle
0: Mm. on
1: cholesterol. We never really got to measure that so that when this research was being done back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, um, and they found an anomaly, let's use France, for example, they found that the French ate high levels of saturated fat, but didn't have high rates of heart disease. They called that the French paradox. And they attempted to um, name that or explain that by the red wine that the French <laughs> drank. <laughs> they said, oh, because the French drink red wine that contained resveratrol and oligomeric proanthocyanidins, which are OPCs. And that's found in the grape skins. And that must be the reason why they don't get heart disease, but we're not saying go drink alcohol. We're not saying go drink red wine. That's only for French people. That's what they were saying, and oh. uh, and so that was the French paradox. And so uh, what ended up happening was um, they were cast. They were out. They were kicked out of the study. The French and but then so the countries, for example, the United States, um, the United Kingdom, um, Australia. I don't know if New Zealand was in it because they were pretty small back then. Um, but th- these. You know, relatively large and emerging countries that kind of followed the same sort of medicine. Yeah. Um, all agreed that you know this this science was was true and true and correct. Now, at that time, the age, the longevity of humans back in the eighties was still expected to be around about sixty eight or seventy. If you got to sixty, you were old, right? And so yeah. that by the time that you got to seventy, you were almost dead. Um, whereas these days, like it's gone out to 82 and kids born today are likely to live to a hundred, you know? So we're seeing the results of chronic disease more now than what we ever have in the past because people are living longer. Now there's multiple things that happen when people live longer. One is that they eat a variety of different foods. Two is that they drink a variety of different beverages. Three is they have a variety of different lifestyles and experience a variety of different stresses that impact the health of their body generally. And many of these things can drive inflammation, right? And it's an inflammatory process, heart disease, Mm -hmm. and cholesterol formation is a natural part of the body's metabolism in response to your environment. And so your body will manufacture cholesterol because it requires cholesterol to manufacture your hormones. And based on your environment, it'll determine whether or not it can manufacture HDL, high-density lipoproteins, which are a cholesterol fraction, or LDL, low-density lipoproteins, which are a cholesterol fraction. Um, and along the way, it'll also manufacture something called triglycerides. And we can break each of these little fractions down into smaller amounts like VLDLs and VLLDLs. Um, So very low-density lipoproteins and very, very low-density lipoproteins. And so I think you can continue to make it very, very small. I might have got those things wrong, but I'm just telling the story here, right? So not reporting the evidence, I'm just telling the story. And so what we what we now find is that we have a greater understanding of the fractions of cholesterol. We're still trying to work out what is it from the outside in that is causing the problem. And what that means is that we ignore that it's an inside-out problem. So we're not acknowledging that the reason why we might actually manufacture the wrong type of cholesterol is most likely not only associated with the food that we eat, but also the stressors that we're under, the inflammation that drives within our bodies as a result of our environment and the environment that we create inside our body, including a healthy gut or an unhealthy gut, um, including medication use, including food Abuse and alcohol abuse and emotional abuse and physical abuse, which might be um, sedentary lifestyle or extreme exercise, these sorts of things. So, anyway, long well, stories, long answers. I'm sorry about that. No, it's not
0: perfect. This is perfect. It's not good
1: for a radio, but uh, yeah. Oh, it's so. great
0: for a podcast because I've been told before I interrupt too much. So, <laughs>
1: <laughs> not with me. No, maybe I maybe I'm talking too much. So
0: Oh, I, I like it. It's good. Um. So, um, cholesterol basically is something our body needs to yes. a certain level. But if it's if it's too high, it's a sim, it's a sign of something going wrong. And can you explain well, that a little? Yeah.
1: So, what's interesting is that our body, if we don't eat cholesterol. And then absorb it. So we absorb about 30% of the cholesterol that we consume.
0: Okay. So
1: if we eat, let's say we eat 100 grams of cholesterol, um, we would absorb 30 grams of cholesterol. Um, and then that will be circulated through the body. And then and then if, if there's any leftovers that we needed to manufacture, then we would go and make more cholesterol. So we can either eat the cholesterol or we can make the cholesterol. It's going to happen. Now, it's going to happen. Like We need it. Our body requires cholesterol for hormone Production. and the hormones that we need cholesterol for are things like progesterone and women need progest- progesterone. Testosterone, men need testosterone. Um, adrenaline and cortisol, our body requires for our stress hormones, we need cholesterol. And so without it, we, we are in trouble. Um, every single, like every single cell within our body requires cholesterol. It's called a phospholipid membrane. So without lipids and fats and cholesterol, we don't have um, cells like we're just a bunch of water we're gonna yeah
0: we're just wet. gonna
1: get we're gonna go down the drain like it's, <laughs> it's not going to be good so we actually need to have fat in our diet in order to do that and if we don't consume fat and we don't uh, consume cholesterol then we will manufacture fat and will manufacture cholesterol. So if we eat too much carbohydrate, guess what happens? We turn that into triglycerides. And guess what happens? If we can't burn all of those triglycerides, they get stored. And guess what happens? We get fat. And so that in itself creates more inflammation. And then of course, we go down that cascade of the inflammatory cause of heart disease. And cholesterol is a result like poor quality, poor, low density, like the LDL cholesterol. LDL cholesterol is a subset or a reaction a response to inflammation within our body. Our body has to rapidly manufacture cholesterol to help manage this inflammatory response. And as a result of having to make it fast and the ingredients that it's got to manufacture it are poor, it manufactures the LDL cholesterol, which again is also pro-inflammatory. And then we end up with trouble. So we can explain all of that cholesterol formation with foam cells and plucking in the arteries and then the, like the blocking of the arteries and all that sort of stuff. But essentially it'd be things like smoking and alcohol and sedentary lifestyle and high sugar diets, um, high um, cooked um, cis fat and um trans fat diets, those sorts of things create that inflammatory um, condition within the body and environment that helps to manufacture the poor quality cholesterol, not the saturated fat that you consume.
0: So interesting. So the if your LDL, that's the bad one, is it LDL? I always get them mixed up.
1: Yeah, it's funny because LDLs are still they still have a role within the body. Okay. And so we have these ratios, right? Like that so <laughs> yeah there's good and bad right it's symbiotic yeah
0: so I get all of those mixed up so if you can just explain a little bit about that um, yeah
1: HDL HDL are your high density lipoproteins H high d is the density and then lipoproteins and then high meaning top of the top of the tree like high being great okay high is in high quality now and, I can remember that yeah high <laughs> is in high quality high density we want you know good quality high density, Liver proteins. That's what we want. Lots okay. of them. It's very cardio protective. Okay. That's very cardioprotective. Okay. That's what they found. So mm-hmm. it's cardioprotective. LDLs, are they low density, low quality, poor quality, low density liver proteins? That They're the things that aren't um, necessarily beneficial for us um, in large amounts. And if the ratio gets stacked in the wrong way, if we get too many LDLs and not enough HDLs, we don't have that cardioprotective effect of the HDLs. Um, okay. And then the LDLs, um, they... Uh, they can become problematic and they can be um, related to heart disease and plaque formation and um, coronary artery disease and so on and so forth. So we, we don't want to have lots of LDLs. That's true. Mm -hmm. We don't want to have lots of triglycerides. That's true. Because if we're having lots of triglycerides, that means we're having too much sugar and too much fat. So, and that means we have to store that and we're going to store that in our fat cells. Triglycerides are stored in our fat cells and then we'll get fat and then that will create inflammation and that creates lots of disease, right? So not just heart disease, but diabetes and cancer. So we know that happens Um, and we're probably likely to find that there'll be other diseases that occur as a result of that. And who knows, like we might even find out that this has something to do with, heart disease or mental health or whatever else. So mm-hmm. this is all emerging and all of this will happen. And so timestamp this, this is 2023. Yeah. Um, and our understanding at the moment has evolved over 40 years, nearly 40 years to this point. And in another 40 years time, if they're uncovering what a podcast was 40 years ago and they listen to this, they go, oh my gosh, this is what I <laughs> was talking about. Um, this is back to, this is the knowledge that we've got at the moment, right? So
0: yeah, um. So- if your trying if your triglycerides and your LDL is too high,
1: yeah,
0: um, you need to reduce the refined foods and the carbs and the or what? What would you suggest as a naturopath nutritionist?
1: Yeah, so great, great question, Joe. Because again, we can go from the outside in, right? So we, <laughs> it's easy to do that. And and so if we consider why would the body make LDL preferentially, like why does the body make LDL preferentially over HDL? And it's only because of the speed at which it has to make it, like it's making it in response to its environment. So it's making LDLs from the ingredients that you put into the body and the environment that you've created for the body. So okay. if you're really stressed, and your diet's rich in saturated fat and carbohydrate, then you're going to make more LDL cholesterol. Oh, and we good. don't want that. We don't want that. So but
0: even though saturated fats can be good for you, in certain yes. situations, you can overdo it.
1: Yeah. Like if you have a lot of saturated fat with carbohydrate, mm. that's a problem. Okay. That's That's TNT, that's dynamite for your cardiovascular health. You don't want lots of carbohydrate combined with lots of fat. And part of that reason is to do with insulin um, being the hormone that's responsible for enabling the cells within the body to access carbohydrate. Mm -hmm. So we can burn carbohydrate pretty easily and very, very quickly. And that which we can't burn needs to be packed away very, very quickly because Sugars, which are the byproduct of carbohydrate consumption, are toxic to the brain. We need a little bit, but too much sugar in the bloodstream is toxic and dangerous. So, our body tries to pack it away as quickly as it possibly can, and it'll do that with insulin. And then, if it can't pack it away, you'll urinate it through your or you get rid of it through urine via the kidneys. And um, and that's where diabetes is is signaled, right? So, diabetes is essentially well, diabetes means sugar in the urine and essentially if we have sugar in the urine then what we now find is that you have poor glucose tolerance and that's come as a result of the inability to get rid of your carbohydrate fuels that you've been consuming Mm -hmm. and in some cases not all cases saturated fat can actually block the sensitivity of your cells to insulin and so you can get this insulin sensitivity as a result of a high fat, high carb diet, which is a combination of carbohydrate fuel and saturated fat fuel. So fat's really safe for us, right? Fat's a really safe fuel. It yields twice the amount of energy that carbohydrate yields, mm-hmm. but there's a time frame in which it all gets used. So And we eat frequently. Like let's, you know, let's look at this. If we go back a hundred years, let's go back thousands of years ago when we're eating the whole of the animal and we're only living to 30 or 40 years old, people didn't get old back then. There was no opportunity to create heart disease. And, and so we know that from the paleo diet and the carnivore, the carnivore diet that worked until you're about 30 or 40 years old, but we don't really know much more past that because people just didn't live long enough. They died from infection or, wild beasts or they fought each other or they are yeah. in you know um oh,
0: cool.
1: yeah childbirth like there was you know people just didn't live a long time back then you're having babies at 13 14 15 years old and and then you weren't living oh, I wonder your
0: body was worn out
1: by yeah, you know these oh, babies, babies just babies, sucked you know? the life out of you yeah <laughs> well there's no contraception and so you just you know that's just stuff just happened you know so that kind of all worked that all worked back then but they weren't eating all the time, you know, like these days we eat all the time. We have breakfast, we have snacks, we have lunch, we have snacks, we have dinner, we have dessert, we have snacks. We might even have midnight snacks. Uh, We consume foods that are rich in um, lots of different nutrients. And those nutrients could be carbohydrates, proteins, or fats. Uh, We have very nutrient rich diets these days. So we have an excessive amount of nutrition in our, in our diet. And so essentially what we're seeing is the, consequences of the consumption of excessive nutrition. Uh hmm. and and you know it's we are eating lots of macronutrients and not lots of micronutrients. And the macronutrients are the things that um, our body uses to build. They're our building blocks. And then our micronutrients are the little things that kind of refine. So vitamins, for example, refine decisions and refine instruction within the body. And then the minerals assist in, you know, the maintenance of the frame and the maintenance of muscles and all that sort of thing. So all really important. But if we go back historically a thousand years ago, they didn't eat lots. They weren't eating all the time and they moved heaps. Mm
0: -hmm. These
1: days when we consume food, if we eat too much carbohydrate and fat, the first thing that's got to get burned off is the carbohydrate because it's dangerous for the body. If we don't burn all of that carbohydrate off, as I said, um, insulin's utilized, you know, and then if we don't, you know, get rid of it all, fat, is bound to the sugar triglyceride. So three sugar molecules, tri is bound to a fat molecule and that goes into our fat cells um, and our fat cells swell and we become overweight and then obese and we become insulin resistant as a result of all of that. And then, you know, there's big problems, but then we eat again and then we eat again. And then we eat again and we haven't moved enough to burn all of the fuel. So in some situations, this is kind of where fasting is kind of beneficial for people is because they go into a nutrient deficiency. And as a result of going to a nutrient or calorie deficiency, they burn through the fuels that they've consumed. And so almost irrespective of the type of fuel that they consume, they burn through that fuel and they go into deficiency. Um, and and that's a, that's becomes a mindset. But for some people, they feel the need to have to eat all the time. And it becomes really important when people feel the need that they have to eat all the time to be selecting the macronutrients that are most appropriate. And the combination of carbohydrate and saturated fat is dynamite. So you've got to be careful of that. So the carbs that you want to eat are less refined. The fats that you want to eat are less refined. The proteins you want to eat are less refined. And um, and then we're going to be happier and healthier, if that makes sense.
0: So if you were going to balance out your meals for the day. I'm just thinking like a cook and a mum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I'm thinking of my kids and what they eat. And um, of course they're going to like, especially my kids. Oh my goodness. They love rice and they love yeah. potatoes and they love sourdough bread. And yes. um, would it be better to have a meal that's lower in saturated fat if you're having, and maybe some protein with the carbs and then have, At another time, a meal that's like, how do you do that? (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Well, that's exactly the right approach. And so you look for the combination of the macronutrients from a timing perspective. So if you are to have um, a protein-rich meal, you would want to have that with um, some vegetables and probably not lots of grain based carbohydrates and starchy carbs, but you could, like it's safer. Um, if you're to have a high carb meal, you probably don't want to have lots of saturated fat with that high carb meal, Mm -hmm. um, because you've got two massive fuel sources, carbohydrates, which need to be burned fast and fat, which yields twice the amount of energy and fuel that carbohydrates yield. And so you have a triple dose of fuel going into your body that you probably won't get a chance to burn off. So that, that might be problematic. Um, and then if you're having a high fat meal, you probably don't want to have that combined with carbs. So you might have high fat meal with protein because you've got a like carbohydrates and protein yield about the same amount of fuel,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: but they're burned differently. And protein doesn't require insulin to pack it away and get rid of it. Protein provides fuel and macronutrients for muscle growth and amino acids for you know every other function within the body. Um, and fat provides essentially just fuel, and then some, you know, um, other nutrients like vitamins A, D, E, and K for our body to be able to manufacture and um, sustain immunity and, um, n- you know, neurotransmitter function and those sorts of things. So when I picture this and and think about it, I'm it's kind of like you don't want to be having protein, fat, and carbohydrate in every single meal, right. um, in equal amounts, but you probably still need some carbohydrate fuel if you're having a high fat diet and that'll be vegetable and salad based carbohydrates, yeah. not grain based and starches. Yeah. Um, and then you want to have, you know, carbohydrates with your proteins. But again, you know, if you're going to have carbohydrate fuels with your proteins, then you don't want to have high fat with your proteins when you're having carbohydrates, because you're just going to end up with too much, you know, it's, it's a bit, it's yeah. a bit too much fuel. Yeah. That's what it comes down
0: to. Mm. Um, so, can you give us an idea of a just an example of a what kind of things you would eat in a day, <laughs> meals or something? Just, just a little. Yeah, you know.
1: Totally, totally. You
0: need a visual. And
1: so, I go back to I go back to a balanced model,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this is very Mediterranean now that I understand the Mediterranean diet, Joe, uh, and I understand the Mediterranean diet really well just because of the work that Marcus and I have done over the last, you know decade with um with a you know with our podcast so um
0: and being, i go back what's that and being there and, and being complete, there which you can tell us about later
1: <laughs> yeah and all that but when i first read the book mastering the zone no entering the zone it was entering the zone and i read this back in 1997 and in 1997 Uh, Reading the book, Entering the Zone, changed my life forever, forever. It was Dr. Barry Sears wrote this book. And it was all about having um, almost measured amounts of protein, fat, and carbohydrates that enabled a decreased insulin reaction to carbohydrate Mm -hmm. and a sustained release of fuel in the bloodstream. And, And that fascinated me. And Mm -hmm. so I was like, wow, what's all this about? It was about having enough carbohydrate, enough fat and enough protein in each meal that would encourage your body to not have a hyper reaction um, to insulin. And it was all about what's called now the insulin zone system. And so when you entered the zone, you basically had 40% of your diet came from carbohydrate. Thirty percent came from protein and thirty percent came from fat, and that's a, in terms of your calorie load. And so that then kind Did, of peaks say
0: entering in. the insulin zone. Are you saying that's not good?
1: Like that's, that's good? No, insulin- that's good.
0: Okay, that's good. That's, that's
1: good. good. So when you entered the zone, you entered balance. Like you entered right.
0: so that's this a balance,
1: this really good balance is sustained. So when we're talking from the outside in, mm. we're talking about putting fuel into your body in a way that doesn't trigger a stress, not a stress response, an insulin response. And so we didn't want to have an insulin response that peaked, that resulted in a massive carbohydrate drop Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: that massive carbohydrate drop then would signal um, other um, inflammatory responses within the body, like a hormone reaction, like cortisol or adrenaline, um, that would also then trigger like this fluctuation of, um, of glycemic control and this glycemic or sugar control was largely um, understood by Barry Sears to be the promoter of inflammation within the body. And then most likely to be the cause of cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis and all of that sort of thing okay. and, and diabetes. And mm-hmm. so I then was like, wow, okay, this is not what I learned in naturopathic school. <laughs> in naturopathy naturopathy school, I learned from Honey, who was my nutrition lecturer, and she was a vegan. I learned that animal proteins were bad, and Mm -hmm. I learned that saturated fat was bad, and I learned very much a Pritikin-style diet, um, which is kind of what we were were taught at the time, right? So I was was confronted, but I I became um, enlightened to think that there was another way to eat and I didn't really kind of get it. Um, I, I did I did work with a with a, a, an amazing naturopath. His name was Pat. And Pat put people into diets and they tended to lose weight. And I didn't really understand it um, as I came out of school. But when I read this book, I was like, I've got it. I've got it. Anyway, then when I went to um, study at RMIT and I was studying chiropractic, we had to do human dissection, Joe. And I was cutting open my human and she was only 60 something years old. And when I cut open my human um, and took out her stomach, uh, I realised how small her stomach was, and her tummy was so small. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, how did you fit your Christmas meal into that?" You know, because I was I was thinking, "Gosh, it's such a small little thing." You know, it's literally the size of two fists. And so that's when I developed the palm method, Joe. And so then I I used the knowledge that I got from Barry Sears and the knowledge that I got from human dissection in the book. Gray's Anatomy, not the TV show Gray's Anatomy, the book, <laughs> yeah. Anatomy, the actual book, like the textbook, like from the 1920s. Yeah. And I used that information to kind of create the palm method model, which I've been speaking about for the last nearly 30 years, right? So, and it's because of that, that I now form my meals the way that I do. So if you remember the product forage that I had, forage had protein, fat, carbohydrate in each of the packets. And it wasn't, it just came from food. And so all of those meals were designed to help people enter the zone. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening was because food trends move so fast, Joe, um, paleo became really popular at the time that I launched Forage. And it threw everything out because we were doing paleo and keto um, because people are so focused on outside in as opposed to balance within. Um, That we're trying to biohack our way. So it meant that people then felt that grains were bad, but grains were bad if they were mixed with the wrong things. And same as proteins are bad if they're mixed with the wrong things, fats are bad if they're mixed with the wrong things. And I suppose today's message, Joe, comes back to a balance. So for me, for breakfast, I still have the same recipe of forage. That I first created, I still have it.
0: And look at you! You look amazing.
1: Ah, uh, you know, not bad for eighty. And uh, and so I um I still have that now. If I'm not having you know that recipe that I had, um, I will have eggs with some avocado and some spinach and some olive oil over the top. I'm not afraid to eat saturated fat, but I don't go out of my way to eat saturated fat. So yes, I'll have butter and I'll have lard and I'll have um you know, the fat on the meat and I have a little bit of bacon, but I don't like um, bacon. It doesn't really feel good in my body. I love the taste of it. Who doesn't love the taste of bacon, but it doesn't feel good in my body. So, and I think this is also really important because people listening to this, half of the people listening to this are going to have O type blood. Yeah, 25% of the people that are listening to this are going to have, or maybe 35% are going to have A type blood. And then they're either going to have B blood or AB blood as, a you know, the next, you know, bunch of people after that and so the diet approach that we all might use varies based on our blood type too and i know this is contentious but looking at the work that peter d'adamo did and his dad did many many years ago and in 2001 i read the book the blood type diet and i started using that with my patients um that helped sort out a lot of problems for a lot of people just by being a bit more mindful about how are my genes how are your genes joe how are they responsible for your reaction to foods, and uh, and so just con- you know, just considering that at a basic level, evolution has enabled us to have different types of blood types based on where we've come from. That also means that our bodies had different and varying amounts of development over the years to different proteins and different carbohydrates and and what we were exposed to in the evolution of our genes. So. I found that that's maybe that's going that's a that's a bridge too far for us to talk about today. But I I now like kind of consider some of that in my food selection. So then for lunch, I'm always going to have a salad, Joe. I'm always having a salad, or I might have a soup. Um, Do you but have it's,
0: protein with your salad.
1: Always have protein with my salad. Always have protein with my salad. Um, I love a poke bowl. Like I love having a poke bowl and that's got the brown rice. It's got some kimchi. It's got edamame. It's got some, you know, um, salmon or chicken or something like that. Or have an egg in it. You know, it's, I've got all of that. So I have that regularly. Yesterday I had a super superfood bowl and that was delicious. Um, and I had a little bit of cheese in there. And so I'm now no longer anti-dairy or anti-grain or anti-carb or anti-protein or anti-fat um, now i'm all about combining each of those macronutrients together and then trying to find ways in which i can have meals together with people that involves having conversation and laughter because that alters my internal environment it's and so
0: nutrient. Nutrient.
1: <laughs> yeah you know like happiness is a macronutrient yeah and um and the the more happiness you get the better you're going to be the healthier you're going to be so um It's interesting because I, and so this will be maybe good news for someone who's listening to this concerned about eggs. When I was doing the TV show Downsize Me in New Zealand, Joe, um, the Dietitians Association at the time mounted a massive legal action against us. And they continued to, um, every single week that the TV show went to air, there was a group of dietitians in New Zealand that got together to complain about the information that I was talking about on the TV show. And one of the things that I said in there is that having eggs you could lower your cholesterol with eating eggs. Wow do you, you, could you imagine oh. that in not, in, you know, in not in the early 2000s like what that did like the early oh 2000s
0: and it's happening again.
1: <laughs> yeah it's yeah we're gonna see it again and we're swings and roundabouts you know we just come out of veganism. there's still some vegans out there, but we're coming out of that. And we're going to swing back in the next five years, we'll sing back towards paleo. But at the moment, we're going to be heading towards a low fat diet again. Um, and that fat is evil. And that's kind of where we are in the pendulum of health trends. So um, we just got to be smart about it. But anyway, they said, that's wrong. And I said, it's not. And so I said, I'll do a little experiment. And I ate 28 eggs per week wow. for three months to prove that it didn't raise your cholesterol. My cholesterol went from 4.1 total cholesterol to 3.7 eating that many eggs. Like that's a three month period. That's a significant time. Now that's N equals one. That's not a population study. That's just a, that's a study that was um, anecdotal
0: experiment.
1: Yeah. It's now what we, you know, what the pharmaceutical companies now call real world data (laughs) and uh and so which is the lowest form of evidence ever but that's now how they pitch drugs and uh, vaccinations and all that sort of stuff real world data that's what we use now and so i um i was i was accused of spreading bad information and so i did that little experiment anyway and then when i turned um Forty, I was, you know, worried about some things. I so went had a blood test done, and my cholesterol was still good. And I've been eating lots of fat and um, eating lots of eggs, and that was really good. And then a couple of years ago, uh, just before COVID hit um, in 2019, I underwent a full body check. Like I had MRIs and CT scans and ah. ultrasounds and and everything. I didn't have anything wrong with me, but I said, Amber, I don't, if what, I don't know if what I'm doing is right. Yeah. What if what I'm doing is wrong and I'm telling all these people to do this thing and I'm wrong. Like what, what you know, that's mm-hmm. bad. So I spent $3,500 on all of these tests, Whew. blood tests, ultrasounds, everything, and yeah. everything was perfect. In fact, when I went to the doctor <sighs> to catch up with him, he goes, i got good news and bad news. Actually, after I left the doctor, he said, enjoy your holiday, Damien, because when you get back, we'll get to work. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, well, we're testing everything, so we'll find something. I go, find what? He goes, you'll have heart disease or or cancer or something. Whatever you've got, we'll just get onto it um, when you get back. And I go, what are you talking about? I'm not going to have anything wrong. Well, you imagine, like, for the next two months while I'm waiting for all these results Aww. to come back? Like, I was thinking, do I fortunately i've got logins to all of that sort of information so i was able to log in and yeah. see all the data myself so i checked you know so i was at peace after two weeks so i was like no worries but i waited i got back to see him and he goes i said how's it looking dr phil his name is dr phil and he goes I've got good news and bad news i go okay i've seen all my scans i know my blood test results what's the bad news he said well the good news is there's no bad news and i said Oh, so what's the bad news? He goes, there is no bad news. But that's, just, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh.
0: <laughs> so then
1: I was like, okay, yeah, great. What I'm doing that. works. It's a moderate approach. It's a Mediterranean approach. It's Icarian in its values. Um, I'm not Greek. I have heritage that's Czechoslovakian, uh, which is European, um, and, and 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 Irish. And so then I'm like, okay, with O type blood, this is working for me. The Palm Method with O type. Blood, foods, and movement, and happiness, and laughter, and love—like all of that
0: stuff—I
1: mm. was, I am healthy at nearly fifty years old, and so Ooh. I thought I'm doing the right thing. So I know this is all about cholesterol, but I wanted to tell you no, lots of a stories.
0: Your approach, I think, it's good. Yeah. Because, um, you can talk about all the science and not know what to do with it. Um, yeah. I don't think you got to dinner though.
1: Dinner. Well, dinner is always a protein. Um, of sorts generally I would have fish I would have fish more than half of my Mm -hmm. meals a week Um, have lots of fish Um, I had steak last night but that was left over from the night before and had that with a fresh salad Um, generally what I put in my salad is something that's leafy Um, Mm -hmm. I'll put avocado in there I'll always have um, tomato sometimes I'll put some fruit in there like mango Um, I really love that I'll chop up some grapes Uh, I'll put bocconcini and olives um I love different types of tomatoes. I'll put asparagus, zucchini um, that I might've cooked on the barbecue. Um, I put all those sorts of things in there and I always cook with olive oil. I never cook with saturated fat. Um, and I just, it just means I don't cook on a really high temperature. Mm. So um, if I, if you look at the cultures around the world that live the longest, they cook with olive oil and, um, and that is what I strive towards. Uh, I'm not I'm not against cooking with saturated fat. It's just that if you're cooking with saturated fat, you don't want to have high carbohydrate meal. Yeah. Um, and so it's just making sure that you, um, you choose your macronutrients right when you're doing that.
0: Yeah, and do you snack?
1: No, not really. But if I was snack joke, to snack, Joe, it's gonna be chocolate. Let me yes. tell you, hey. I, love, I love chocolate. <laughs> People go, you should snack on some almonds. I go, no, I don't want to snack on almonds. I want chocolate. I so, like
0: with chocolate.
1: Yeah, me too. Scorched almonds, <laughs> bring you. it on. But uh, for me, I'm, I'm a chocoholic. And so we can't have chocolate in the house. Um, otherwise, I get in trouble. And I can't, when I go to play golf, I can't walk past the chocolates. Um, or I will want to buy, I don't buy chocolate, eat on the golf course, because I think it makes my golf bad. Um, I've talked myself into that, but I really do enjoy chocolate. And I love ice cream too, Joe. Ice cream, vanilla ice cream is my yeah. number one vice. But yeah. I um but I don't tend to snack. I just I it's just it's
0: more of a now and then thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. And but if you know someone puts out a charcuterie board and it's middle of the afternoon and there's a little bit of rose, I'm not gonna say no. Yeah. You know?
0: yeah.
1: Um and we're having fun with friends and we're talking, and and that in itself, as we said before, is the macronutrition. That uh, we require and to
0: live Well, that's life. all the balance that you're talking about the balance in the meals, the balance in how you eat and who you eat. We, we talked about that in another podcast, which I will link below in case anyone yeah. wants to listen to that, that it's more than food and having that whole big picture approach. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I know, I know, and I did allude to it just before this is about cholesterol. I think what I'd love the listeners to um, understand is that it's multifactored, mm. it's not just that saturated fat causes cholesterol, because that's actually not true. Mm. It's that dysregulation of the macronutrients in your bloodstream create challenge within the body. And in a pro-inflammatory environment, which would be a stressed environment or a dysbiotic environment or a sedentary environment, your body is going to have to make decisions about how it manufactures certain nutrients in order to keep you alive. And in a, in an environment that's not a healthy environment, your body will do its best and it's highly likely that things will go wrong. So the thing that you want to do is create an environment that's the best for your body in order to live a healthy, long life. And, um, and, and that's not about avoiding saturated fat, but it's also not about only eating saturated fat. And it's not about avoiding carbohydrates, but it's also not about only eating carbohydrates and, and with protein, the same answer, the same thing.
0: That's good. Okay. I have some questions from listeners. Is that all right?
1: Yeah. Fire.
0: Right. Um. How do we demystify the functional ranges versus GP ranges of cholesterol? Um.
1: I, that's, I mean, that's such an incredible question because everyone's functional range is slightly different. And cholesterol generally has only ever been measured as a pathological um, measurement. It's not necessarily seen as a functional measurement. And I'd love to see that there was, you know, worldwide agreed on functional ranges that we would use. But let's let's defend the doctors here for a second. They've been taught dogma around statins and around heart disease. And in most cases, 99% of cases, the patients that they see don't wish to be proactive in the management of their disease. Most of the time, the reason why somebody goes to a doctor is for the doctor to prescribe a drug or to recommend another professional to manage their condition. Could be a specialist, it could be, um, a, a, a allied health professional or whatever, but the gatekeeper to healthcare in Australia is the general practitioner, mm-hmm. and ninety nine percent of the time their patients don't want to be involved in the restoration of their health.
0: Yeah. they just
1: want a pretty
0: easy option. <laughs>
1: they just want the fix, and so they go. We want to see your cholesterol at this level, and so as a result of that, you need statin drugs. Now. The counter to that would be that if your doctor says you've got high cholesterol, you could say, I want to fix this with my diet. Mm -hmm. And your doctor should then say, that's fantastic. I support that. Do you want to see somebody to help you? And then they would then write a prescription for you to go and see somebody on the EPC or something like that, that would give you five visits to a specialist of your choosing that could help guide you to manage that. Mm. If you can't manage your cholesterol and you're at high risk of heart disease, or you've already been shown to have plucking in around your arteries, or you've got a family history of heart disease and stroke, then you want to find a way to bring it down. And in the doctor's world, in their sphere of healthcare, most doctors, and I'm saying this, not functional doctors, but most doctors have in their toolkit drugs and surgery. And so they're going to prescribe what they know. So most of them aren't going to look at a functional range of cholesterol. They're going to look at a pathological range of cholesterol. And so it's not you don't want to demystify it or to try and find what it is but you want to get on top of your cholesterol and your heart disease risks. Um, and you got to either do that through your lifestyle and that would include diet, but it's not the only thing. Mm-hmm. Um, or you're going to have to use the nutraceutical or pharmaceutical interventions that your doctor is going to suggest for you.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, Karen asks, my cardiologist has said that I have high triglycerides due to my family genetics Even when I go super low carb, when I'm fermenting carrots to reduce sugars, all of those things mine are still high, as is my sugar levels pre-diabetic. What are your thoughts on this?
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, Karen, without knowing exactly what you eat, um, I think that probably uh, what I described to you is probably accurate. Um, You could be fermenting a lot of your foods and you might be going lower carbohydrate Um, but you might have your other macronutrients wrong as well. Um, and Yeah, balance. And if you're already pre-diabetic, then in some cases, um, saturated fat can be bad for you, particularly. And I'll say this, this is weird, but I'll say this, um, but please don't don't, please, anybody who's listening to this, this is not medical. I'm not giving you medical advice here, right? So this is not medical advice. It's not intended to replace the, you know, the advice of your doctor. Okay. So what I'm saying here is that, my In my observation, people with A-type blood who eat a high saturated fat diet have harder challenge keeping their triglycerides low, um, even if they have low carbohydrate in their diet. So mm. if you've got high triglycerides and A-type blood, then saturated fat may not be your best approach.
0: So you may um, need to reduce that and try some olive oil.
1: And go back to olive oil and live a more Mediterranean plant-based diet with appropriate proteins um and that's a bit tricky that's a bit more it's a bit more kind of bespoke what we need to do there but i don't know what your diet actually is and And i know that it's easy to to say (laughs) what's that
0: that's when you need to see a naturopath
1: that's when you see a naturopath or your integrated nutritionist or integrative doctor who's got nutrition people that work alongside them Um, that's really important but um triglycerides Elevated triglycerides are a reaction to high carbohydrate, um, and if you've got insulin resistance, then you know it's easy to develop high carbohydrate in your diet, um, even if it seems like it's small. If you're already insulin resistant, insulin resistant pre-diabetic, it's highly likely you've got other disease processes, other things going on like PCOS or whatever else, and that all needs to be managed appropriately um, with the right practitioner.
0: Yeah. So with statins, I meant to mention this before. um, I know my father-in-law was given statins even though he didn't have high cholesterol because his doctor told him that he's at the age where high cholesterol can develop and so he gave him statins. His health went downhill so bad he um, got to the stage where he was basically, it was like he was going into dementia, he had no muscle, like his muscles wasted away, um, it was terrible. And that was within probably a year or so until a specialist realized that the statins were causing issues and took them off him, but by then it was too late and yeah. he passed away at maybe 65 or so. Um, yeah. you know, like what's the dangers of having statins if you shouldn't be having them? How do you like people who you're saying maybe your doctor will give them to because you haven't worked on all these other things? Um, like ha- so to get off them, I guess you'd have to work on all these other things and then get your doctor to help you get off them.
1: Yeah. Well, interestingly, statins aren't life-saving, which no. is really important to understand. So statins aren't a life-saving medication. Okay. People might argue that they are, but they're not a life-saving medication. Life-saving medications are the things that you use for, say, mental health um, or to lower blood pressure. Um, but the formation of cholesterol, that's not, dangerous to your health if you're managing it, you know, and doing the right things. Statins become important as a prescription from a doctor if there's low um, desire to do anything else by the patient.
0: And there was with
1: my father. Yeah. And (laughs) there's no pharmaceutical drug on the planet that I could ever hand on heart say is without side effects Mm -hmm. and can be used to prevent disease. Yeah, nothing. I heard the other day that
0: have to be proactive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I heard the other day that they're now going to start talking about taking low dose aspirin for women who are at risk of was it cervical cancer or something. And I was like, oh, here we go. But it's just the recycling of drugs, you know. Yeah,
0: so like eventually that would affect your gut health, right? And yeah, medication.
1: Yep, and then there's more inflammation and there's, you know, other other bits, and pieces, other bits and pieces. So the reason why I say that is because when I go back to Dr. Phil, Dr. Phil said the, the good news is that there is no bad news. Have you ever considered taking metformin? And I'm like, well, why would I take metformin? He goes, oh, because it's a longevity drug. You're into longevity, aren't you? I said, of course I'm into longevity, but which cultures in the world have taken metformin to live a long time? And he goes, well, the science is telling us that it lengthens your telomeres. I said, yeah, but so does laughter and so does good diet and so does drinking red wine and so does, you know, movement. So why would I want to take a drug that's going to have downstream and upstream consequences? Mm. Um, and there's no, there's no drug on the planet because let's face it, a drug is designed to block a process. Yeah. Okay. If you use a drug to block a process within the body, There will be downstream consequences because a process has been blocked within the body that it's highly likely your body needed in the first place in -hmm. order to stay alive. So it's just that something's gone wrong somewhere on the line. So I would never take a pharmaceutical drug as a preventative.
0: Yeah.
1: Never. Ever. That's what I wanted to. I didn't
0: word it very well, but thank you for understanding Mm
1: -hmm. what I meant. But I, I definitely wouldn't use a drug as a prophylactic for any kind of disease. I would use lifestyle mm. um, first and foremost.
0: Yeah. yeah. This one's kind of related. Best way to eat fats when you have no gallbladder.
1: <laughs> In small amounts and frequently. So um, your pancreas uh, produces three little um, enzymes. One's called protease. The other one's called... Amylase and the other one's called lipase. And lipase breaks down the the lipids in your diet. And if you just trickle fat into your bloodstream, into your diet, into your gut, frequently in small amounts over the day, um, your pancreas will manage it. And you will learn very quickly if you've had too much fat because it's going to come out as oil um, undigested. So you have a loose stool with floating stools. Um, You'll feel uncomfortable as a result of all the fat coming through your stool. Um, And the way to get your own specific amount of fat in your diet appropriate is to start with easy to digest fats, which will be your polyunsaturated fats that are raw like olive oil and avocado oil um, and macadamia oil, which is rich in monounsaturated fats and have those on your salads and then work backwards from the diarrhea to something that's probably a bit more manageable or just have enough like a dessert spoon or two dessert spoons um, that doesn't trigger um, a loose stool.
0: Yeah, that's good. If you have high blood pressure, so that's is that similar to what you know the the what's the word the answer to reducing that? Is that similar to what you're saying for cholesterol?
1: Yeah, it's very lifestyle driven. Blood pressure is really tricky because depending on how long you've had blood pressure for will determine how easy it is to get it back to where it should be. And this will revolve this will need nutritional, psychological, and physical um, intervention. Yeah. So you're going to have to make sure that you manage your stress. That's really important. You have to make sure that you manage your diet and you're gonna have to make sure you manage your movement. All of these things are really important to help manage hypertension. Um, because the longer hypertension's there, the more your body reacts to the increase in pressure and it will try to stabilize the vessels. And the way in which it will try to stabilize the vessels is by causing sclerosis of the vessels and it makes them hard. So mm. sclerosis of the bones, for example, is arthritis. If the brain loses confidence that the joint can perform properly, it'll create arthritis. If the brain loses confidence in the um, cardiovascular tissue to... Um, manage the pressure, it'll stabilize them by putting calcium into the, um, into the membranes to strengthen them so that they don't pop. So Mm -hmm. if you've had high blood pressure for a long time, um, and your kidneys are unable to manage your blood pressure really well, because you haven't been able to, you haven't drunk enough water or you're you've had a lot of stress. It will take a while to get on top of that. And you may never get it back to where you would hope it would be, um, if it's been there for a long time it's a trickier one blood pressure it's, and blood pressure medication is life-saving so you've mm-hmm. got to be careful with that
0: yeah okay
1: got i love questions. that you've got questions that's unreal joe
0: yeah how, I good one... your, how
1: good are your listeners They're the best
0: pop them in and um there was another one here that i just need to quickly find sorry
1: you got so yeah, much information. Really out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, vegetable oils. Okay, could you just yes. talk about that, please? Canola oil and all those. Like people get so confused with that because we've been told for so long that they're the they're the good guys. And
1: yeah, well, the only vegetable oil, you know, in its raw form that is really unbelievably good for you is olive oil. At the end of the day, and if you could go down. You could look at other vegetable oils and plant based oils that are also good, but. um avocado oil and macadamia oil, which I mentioned before, are also really good for you. And the the discussion revolves largely around the utilization of oil. What are you using the oil for? Mm-hmm. So if you're using the oil to consume because you know it's good for you, then you want raw oil. Mm-hmm. And the raw oil that you're going to consume ideally, ideally would be an oil that um, is easy to digest and easy to utilize. Now, the advent of coconut oil was um, was exciting um, and it is certainly a better option than palm oil. Palm oil um, is, is not a healthy oil for us, um, but coconut oil also still contains um, nutrients in there that for some po- parts of the population, it's not very good for them. And a lot of people use coconut oil to cook with. Now, it's not, it's, it doesn't have a really high smoke point. It doesn't have a really high flash point. And so coconut oil is best probably consumed in its raw state, um, or not cooked at a really high temperature. And this is really important for people to understand. And I think we shattered that myth maybe eight or nine years ago, I reckon, Joe. Um with the yeah, (laughs) with the wellness guys, we spoke about that um back in the in the good old days. Um can you believe that started so long ago?
0: I think that was two thousand and
1: eight that started. Like that's,
0: that's it unbelievable? Wow, two thousand
1: and eight. Maybe two thousand and nine. That's just amazing. It blows my, blows me away. Anyway, yeah. something like that. It was such a long time ago. It must be in two thousand nine. I think met Lawrence and we started doing that. that. But that's anyway, right.
0: ages quirky cooking.
1: There you go. There you go. Wow. And look where you are, and look where I am. Totally different. <laughs> totally different. <laughs> You're nailing it. Um, (laughs)
0: I'm
1: having a good time. I'm having a good time. And then, so all the other oils that have been, you know, let's, we'll just, why don't we just pick rice bran oil, for example, because for a little bit of time, rice bran oil, everyone was talking about it and it, it used to have a little red label on it saying no cholesterol. And that was because they piggybacked off the myth that fat contained cholesterol. Um, and some fats, of course, saturated fat will contain some cholesterol. Um, and some Polyunsaturated fats will contain some cholesterol too, but bearing in mind that we only absorb 30% of our cholesterol from our diet, right? The rest of it we manufacture. These refined, highly refined oils are not healthy oils. They just don't flash. They don't smoke at higher temperatures. And so from a cancer perspective, having low, having a high flash point means that you could fry with these oils. And so when you smoke, when the oil smokes, it increases the risk of both heart disease and cancer because you get the formation of um, of cis fats and then trans fats. Um, they they're the things that aren't good for us. It's but the refi- highly refined oils such as canola oil and rice bran oil they they don't burn because they're so highly refined. So you can fry with those oils and not have cysts and trans fats but that doesn't make them a healthy oil <laughs> yeah they just don't burn they just don't they and they offer no value because they're so highly refined there's nothing of value in it it just provides a medium to fry with so if in your mind you think that frying is good for you and worthwhile doing then you would use an oil that doesn't burn but if in your mind, you think that frying's probably not a really good thing to do, because most of the time we're frying carbohydrates and the combination of fat and carbohydrates, not ideal. If in your mind, you think that frying's not a good thing to do, particularly deep frying, then it doesn't matter about all of those highly mm-hmm. processed refined oils. You just stick to the oils that are, are uh, extra virgin and unrefined and they're the full flavor and they're you know, organic, you know, that's really what you're wanting to have. And so that's, that's where I go with fat these days. I do have on my website, an article that I wrote about fats. Um, I don't think the data will have changed much fats. It's pretty much a closed book on fats these days. What we know about fats now, we knew about 10 years ago, nothing's really changed. I know people still try to, you know, throw little curly ones in there, but it's, it hasn't really changed.
0: So, um, to, we should probably wrap it all up because it's gone over an hour now, sorry. Um, sorry about
1: that, listeners. No, I'm,
0: I'm hoping I haven't taken up too much of your time. Um, <laughs> Not at all, Jay. Um, Well, I know I could keep asking questions forever, but to wrap it all up, if you're trying to eat like a gut-healthy diet, which a lot of my listeners are, um, a diet that is traditional and using foods that we know humans have thrived on for a long, long time. Yes. Um, some animal fats are good, but yeah. don't overdo it with carbs.
1: Yes, at the same time.
0: At the same time. And if you're looking at the supermarket shelves, what you should be buying is extra virgin olive oil. Yes. Um, maybe some macadamia or avocado oil if it's cold-pressed extra virgin.
1: Yeah, if you want to cook on a higher heat, yeah.
0: So you would use those for cooking
1: for higher heat? If I wanted to do a quick fry, I'd use those oils. But generally, oh. I've slowed down my cooking time. I just don't try to cook fast anymore. Yeah, so, um, it works I better mean, it's,
0: with, with um, natural pans too. If you don't go yeah. too high, it's not going to stick as much.
1: That's right. So I I, I use um, natural um, cast iron pans,
0: um, which you do. I use like grandma's cast iron. <laughs>
1: That's the best. I love that.
0: And um, some of them are over 50 years old and the surface is like glass.
1: Amazing.
0: You can still buy those brands. They're like 80, 100 years old and I've got quite a few of them.
1: So great. Yeah. And the the thing there is don't cook too fast. That's the thing. And it's not good for your food to cook too fast as well. So like use lower heat on your barbecue, use lower heat on your stovetop. Don't use high heat in your oven. Um, You know, find ways in which you can cook on lower heat and it's better for your food, better for you.
0: And then with the saturated fats. So for those of us um, like making our own ghee and tallow and lard and things like that and using those in cooking, uh, they're great for high smoke point cooking. Yeah. But also, yeah, just remembering the, the carbs and fat thing.
1: It's just that. If you look at India, for example, India has one of the highest rates of diabetes in the world, oh. but they consume a combination of saturated fat and carbohydrate. Yeah. So then you go, if it's got the highest rate of diabetes in the world, why would we follow that pattern when we know how to fix it?
0: Mm.
1: And they're also a lot of them are vegetarian, right? <clears throat> so they're having high fat, low protein. High carbohydrate meals it's dynamite like Mm. dynamite so it's no good and they're not living a long time anymore um Mm. the chinese um, or the asian cultures have rice but it's usually with uncooked proteins or not lots of saturated fat they don't use saturated fat in their cooking like it's just not what they do so peanut oil um you know it's and they do stir fry but stir-frying is generally done with water. It's not necessarily done with oil. So they put oil in at the end just for flavour.
0: Yeah.
1: That's why they've got that tap there, you know. They put the tap on, put the water in, sh- 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 toss it round, put the Stop oil everything. in, the flame comes up, and then they tip it out. They get rid of it, you know, so that's what it is.
0: I should have got a tap over my stove for my... No,
1: I should have done the same. I just did a build <laughs> and I haven't done it. So. Did you just do a red I Yeah. yeah. I'm, in, I'm in the
0: middle of one. It's so fun, but it's kind of... Chaos. <laughs> yeah, I'm it is in the laundry at the moment and oh, on the veranda.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> Hilarious. I love Got it. My
0: little camping gas cooker on the washing machine and my thermi. <laughs>
1: Perfect. Perfect. Where would we be without the gas the gas mate?
0: Yeah. From Bunnings. The gas mate from the Bunnings and mate. our thermi <laughs> Oh well, thank you so Ooh, much like I'm sure people will think of a million more questions but I'm hoping that the um the principles that you've taught us today will cover a lot of the questions once they really listen to the podcast um and yeah I really appreciate the balance that you that you share in all of your advice um whether it's yeah about food or lifestyle or fats or whatever you're always very balanced and i appreciate that so thank you so much for joining Thank up. you
1: so much for having me joe and thanks to your listeners for sticking through this whole podcast hopefully <laughs> it was interesting but please I just want to go back to it and say look if you've got any health issues make sure you speak to your healthcare practitioner and this should stimulate thought like it shouldn't be it's stimulate definitely not black and white yeah it's not black and white what i say is is in my mind absolutely true Um, but in someone else's mind might be absolutely false, but that's not right or wrong, you know? So let's just um, have a conversation about it and and go with that information to ask better questions. That's what science is.
0: And be curious because that's that's damped down a lot these days.
1: Yeah, it really is. Yeah, it really is. Thanks so much, Joe.
0: Thank you, Damo. Hopefully we'll catch up again soon. We will. Wait. We're adding a PS to this um, podcast (laughs) because we've got something. (laughs) Yes. Damo is going to tell us about if you want to know more about um, how to live and eat the Mediterranean way, he has an exciting um, way to do that.
1: Absolutely. So thanks, Joe. Um, as you know, I've been doing a podcast um, now for nearly 10 years with Marcus Pierce called 100 Not Out. We've got nearly 500. Oh, have we got 500? Yeah, we've got more than 500 episodes now. I think we're at 520 episodes oh, now, which is crazy. It is crazy every single week. And one of the things that we do is we go to places in the world where they actually do live a long time and that have been called Blue Zones. And Dan Butner from National Geographic um, about 10 years ago discovered that there was cultures within the world that blew the statistics out of the water. And they essentially were cultures that lived a long time about, I think it's something like 10 or 15 years longer than the expected age of that country. And, um, and so then he went on to research all that. And there's five of those places this year, we're going to Icaria and it's in June. So in June, June 12 to 21, 2023, we're going to Icaria in 2024, we're going to Sardinia we're planning that trip as well as we go at the moment. So we're just wanting to learn how they do it. And we've been doing this for six years and we love it. And so um, if you're interested in it, go to 100 Actually, no, know, just 100 forward slash 2023, 2023. And that'll take you to information about that thing. But listen to us. Uh, it's 100 not out. So thanks, Joe, for letting me put that little plug in.
0: And you know what? I'm going to be in Italy just before you're in Greece, so come to come with me as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, go see, go to Joe, and then come to us.
0: <laughs> so I'm I'm doing it. Um, I've got a friend who has a ski lodge in the Alps in Italy, and she asked me to come and um, do a retreat there. So, oh wow, I'm, yeah. So that'll be end of May, start of June. And, well, if you
1: do that, I might organise one for France in December next year in Italy, uh, in uh, in winter.
0: Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a good idea. I'm coming
1: back to you about that. Let's run a retreat oh. in Megeve, in France. That's in the in the in the Swiss Alps, in the French Alps, mm-hmm. just near Mont Blanc. It's beautiful. Okay. Let's. See. Well, I'm going to look into that, and we might um, run a retreat. It's... We might run a health retreat for all of um anybody who wants to come, and we'll do that in that's we'll do it in This yeah, is the cool. year
0: for retreats.
1: Yeah, let's do it.
0: Now that we can travel.
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Unreal. Awesome, Joe.
0: Hello, guys. Have a look, check it out, and um, lots of cool things happening. Thank you so much, Demo. Thanks, Joe. See ya. See ya.